0: Hey everyone, welcome to Change Your Mindset, Change Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Brie Marie from LivingBreely.com. I'm a blogger, online course creator, a mindset and success strategist, and now a podcast host. This podcast is all about how our mindset creates the reality of every aspect of our lives from money to relationships to careers to entrepreneurship and even our health and wellness. I know firsthand just how powerful our mindset is and just how easy it can be to get lost in the complexities of life. Through my own journeys with anxiety, a tough career transition, building a blog from scratch and a super shaky start with online entrepreneurship, I've been able to connect with experts, coaches, entrepreneurs and other bloggers from all around the world who are now excited to share their transformational stories and mindset shifts with you. So let's jump in. I know it's not Monday and I know that's when I usually post the new episode, but I spent this weekend working on that project that I've been talking about for like the past couple of like the last two weeks, I think, and I'm finally going to be able to share it with you guys by the end of this week. So on Friday, I'm probably going to be talking a little bit in depth about what what it is that I'm finally going to be doing and just like the whole background of it. But I have invested a lot of time, a lot of energy, I've invested money, and I just really wanted to make sure that this was all done correctly. And that's why I've been keeping it a secret because I wanted to make sure that it was actually something that was viable and that I could actually bring to fruition, which is why I started hiring people to help me with bringing that vision to Life And I'm so, so excited to be able to talk to you about that. But that will just have to wait. Uh Let's see. What else was I going to say? Oh, last night I had dinner with my family, which is why I wasn't able to edit this episode until today, Monday afternoon at like 2 p.m. And I don't really I don't want to defend myself of like not posting things on time. Because and this will probably be what the mindset shift, tip, trick, shift, whatever we're going to talk about, whatever we're going to call it will be about on Friday is just really choosing what you prioritize in your life and not feeling guilty for putting something on the back burner. Because it's not like I don't value my podcast or I don't believe in it. And that's why I put it on the back burner. But it's like sometimes sometimes things just have to come first. And for me, family will always come first. And that's what I had to do on Sunday. And sometimes things like that project that I'm working on, it needs to come first. Like I have a lot of moving parts, not saying that other people don't like we all have families, we all have jobs, we all have relationships. And that's just kind of what happens. You have to kind of put those pieces like almost like I think of it like one of those revolving doors that they have um, at department stores or like at airports where it's like like each thing is one of those revolving doors and sometimes like something has to come first and come out first before everything else is that a horrible analogy I don't know but that's just kind of like how I view it as like it's not some there's an impermanence to what's important right? Like they're, like I was saying, my family just came into town, but they're not going to be here forever. Like they're only going to be here for a week, right? So it's like, do I like push them to the side just because I'm like, oh no, I have to do this. Or do I spend time with my family and know that I can come back to working on something that's important to me, if that makes any sense. I hope it does. We're going to be talking about it more on Friday. Anyway, I am super excited for today's guest. Her name is Lindsay, and I met her through a Facebook group that I am an admin or moderator for. I don't know which one, but um, yeah, I don't even know how I became an admin or moderator for a blogging group. Who gave me that responsibility? We don't know, but it happened, and Lindsay commented on one of my blog posts and when I went to reciprocate and put comment on her blog post I became like so enamored is that a word is that the right word with like her story. So if you guys don't know when I was 10, 12 maybe I wanted to become a journalist. That was like what I told my parents I was going to do. I said, I'm going to move to New York. I'm going to go to NYU and I'm going to take photos and be a journalist and work at a magazine. And my parents were like, that's awesome. You should totally do that. I am so lucky I had my parents because they like always supported everything that I wanted. Obviously things changed drastically and sometimes I think that's kind of why I came to blogging was because I, I had always enjoyed writing. I was like a weird kid. I would write short stories underneath our dining room table. Like that was my writing space. That's where I would go to write. <laughs> was our like our formal dining room. It was a me- I was a weird child like I said. But I still have a really special place in my heart that like, and I think it's just curiosity too, of people who are journalists or are news anchors and are on the news and write the news. And I kind of wanted to pick Lindsay's brain about what that process was like and not only is Lindsay, like she no longer is on the news right now. She transitioned out of that. She may go back as we talk about in, in the episode. Um, but she had her son. And so she transitioned out of being a news, a news anchor and into visual communications. And then she started her blog. And what I love about her blog is she's a fashion blogger, but She's different from other fashion bloggers in the sense that she doesn't just post like, here's this dress I'm wearing. It's really cute and it's comfortable and it's only $19.99. Click my link below. She actually get something of value when you read her posts, when you read her blog content or her Instagram posts. You're walking away with something that is valuable. And I think that that is really what the fashion blogging... Niche, niche, however you pronounce it, needs right now, and I think especially for bloggers. Like I was telling Lindsay, I was like, I'm probably gonna hit you up next year because I am planning on doing like a bit of branding photo shoot uh, to get some new pictures and stuff taken of myself, so I can like put them in all of the places. And I was like, I'm probably gonna need your help because proportion wise. I'm a little screw. It's a, it's a mess. Okay. Really broad shoulders. I feel like my body type is an inverted triangle or an upside down triangle. Like I feel like I have very broad shoulders and then I just get like narrow as we go down. Don't know how this happened, but I made it about myself. So I digress. Lindsay is tremendously helpful. If you are someone who, is going to be doing an on-screen appearance. If you're going to be on camera, if you're doing a photo shoot, who she can be someone who can really help you what decide what's going to look good, especially on your body type. Obviously, she's been on camera for 10 plus years. So I think that's a great indication of that. She really knows what's going to look good and what's not going to look good. And my whole thing, and I think we talked about this in the episode, is like, I don't want to look too trendy because then if you look too trendy, you're going to have to reshoot things in like two to five years and or it's just going to look dated after a while, right? Like this whole scrunchy thing. You guys know the scrunchy thing, right? Like this epidemic that Urban Outfitters is just playing a huge role in. <laughs> It's like from the 80s. And when you see a picture with someone wearing a scrunchie, you automatically think like, oh, that's from 1985, not 2018. And that's kind of the way you want to avoid those when you're taking professional photos, right? Right. I think that's like a good example of kind of what Lindsay and I were talking about of just making sure that like the things that you post are classic and elegant and that's her blog is anchored in elegance. And so it's kind of the play on words of like she was a news anchor and then she also believes in elegance and really feminine wear and making sure that things look like exactly what you said, elegant and are timeless. And so I really... Enjoyed getting to know Lindsay throughout this entire process, the pre-interview, recording, even afterwards. I still watch all of her Instagram stories and... Her Instagram posts and her blog post on anchoredandelegance.com. And I just really am happy that I got to that our paths crossed and that we got to connect because it was super exciting for me that I got to pick her brain about the journalist field. So all of her links are going to be in the description, episode description. So go ahead and check her out. And I hope that you guys enjoy this episode. And I will talk to you on Friday. Hi, Lindsay. How are you?
1: Hi, Brie. I'm doing great. How about
0: yourself? Really good. We are having, like, are finally kind of transitioning into a true fall season. So I'm kind of excited about that.
1: Oh, me too. I know everyone <laughs> has been itching for sweater weather.
0: Yeah, I definitely am. I, in Southern California, we don't get enough days where we can wear, I feel like those like chunky knit sweaters that I like love. I have so many of them. I'm like, I don't get to wear these enough. Come on over
1: to the Midwest. <laughs> we have more than we can handle, although it has been 80 here in Indiana.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, are you serious?
1: Yeah, it's been great. Uh, we're dipping though. The temperatures are falling.
0: So you are originally from Wisconsin, but yes, now you live, in- you live in Indiana.
1: Yep. Lived in Wisconsin most of my life, um, but in TV journalism, you move around a lot. But this last move we made was actually for my husband's job. He works at Purdue University. So we hopped out over to Indiana and, and we're loving it here.
0: Oh, that's awesome. That's good. So you have a blog called Anchor and Elegance. Correct. Yes. And so tell us a little bit about your blog, and kind of what was the inspiration for Anchored in Elegance?
1: So the title literally speaks to my time in TV news, Anchored as in anchoring morning shows, but it's also a lot more than that because I wanted it to focus on a variety of different things. We talk about fashion a lot. We talk about home decor and just living successfully as a professional woman exuding elegance and class. And so Anchored in Elegance talks about my belief that everything can be grounded in that classic sense of elegance and that it doesn't have to be expensive. Elegance can be affordable. And so a lot of what I share are ways to be thrifty and achieve those elegant looks.
0: I love that you incorporate your... TV journalist background into your blog because I think that that's really unique and that was the reason why I really wanted to invite you to be on the podcast was because I was like sometimes I think bloggers forget if they if they you know their career has become blogging they kind of forget what they did, did before but you've been able to kind of tie that into your blog which I think is so unique and, and really interesting.
1: That's what I was trying to do because when I first decided I wanted to start a blog, it was, well, what can I write about that is unique? What valuable advice and information can I pass along or experiences have I had that isn't run of the mill? There's lots of people that blog and I think to be successful, you have to have your specific niche in some area of value that sets you apart and makes you unique. And I know to me, TV news is, is normal, but I know a lot of people are curious about the industry and some of the things that I talk about might be surprising And some of the training that I received over the years and how to dress professionally or dress for the camera. It comes natural to me, but it's not information everybody has access to. So there's a lot of um, tidbits and things that I can pass along that way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. She does have really good tips, and we'll kind of jump into those um, a little bit later. But one of the reasons why, another reason why I really wanted to have you on was kind of a selfish reason, reason because (laughs) I... I'm obsessed with journalism. I was in newspaper in high school for a year and oh, that's awesome. I really wanted to be a journalist, but I kind of strayed away from it because I realized like, oh my gosh, like journalism seems really difficult <laughs> to kind of climb um, up that ladder. But I like, Um, all the president's men is one of my favorite movies and books. Like I love investigative journalism, which I know we kind of chatted about, um, in our previous conversation, but I wanted to know more about journalism just because I have such an interest in it. So you have actually been a TV journalist and journalist for about 10 years. So can you kind of tell us a little bit more about your journalism career?
1: Sure. I knew right from the get-go, way back in high school even, that I wanted to work in news. I was a naturally curious kid. I always wanted to know what was happening around me. I wanted to know how government worked. I wanted to know what the city council was deciding, what the police were up to. I was a nerd like that. And I also discovered along the way that writing was what I was really great at, and how could I translate that into a career? And also growing up, we were one of those families. We always had a newspaper on the kitchen table. We would watch um, the nightly news together, and I remember watching um, some of our local anchors and saying, I want to be her. I want to do that, and I think I can. At the time, my Parents kind of thought I was crazy. They (laughs) would have preferred if I had said, I want to be a doctor or a lawyer. In fact, they kind of pushed me in that direction. But eventually, they realized this is what I wanted to do. So, right away, when I went to college, I had everything planned out. I was going to go in the journalism program at um, UW Madison, and I needed to get an internship with a local TV station as fast as possible. And so it really never was a question that that was what I wanted to do. But when you are in journalism, it, especially TV journalism, it's a very competitive industry. So your first uh, entry into the field, you can't really be choosy. You put together the best resume tape showing your experience that you can, And then you send it out all over the country and email a lot of news directors hoping you can get somebody that would give you a shot. And so I assumed that I would end up in some random state that I had never lived in before. And it ended up being right in Wisconsin, my home state, where I finally had somebody that that gave me a shot. So that was my first reporting job. In TV news, you start out as a reporter, usually in a very small town, and you get an opportunity to learn and grow, um, learn from others who are more senior at the station. It's an opportunity to sometimes make mistakes because you're not going to be awesome right away. It takes practice. And one of my um, first news directors called it graduate school with a little bit of pay. Was how he phrased your first job. So it was a learning experience. And then after that, um, just about every two years, I would move to another place, another station to kind of move up in the ladder. And you kind of start to move to different market sizes. Usually you move to bigger communities as you gain more experience and um, also shift from being, I wanted to be an anchor um, in addition to doing reporting. So eventually I switched to. Um, being on the desk.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the reason why I didn't know this, that journalists moved around or news anchors um, or TV journalists moved around so much, like I had no idea. And then so as we were kind of you were like, I moved, I stayed in Wisconsin, then I moved here and then I moved here. And I was like, wow, you really have moved a lot. So the reason, so kind of, I know you kind of just answered it. But sure, yeah,
1: I can explain the, the reason for that. Most um, jobs, there's kind of internal mobility where you will get an opportunity to increase your pay, increase your responsibilities right where you're at. And TV news is a little bit different. If you want to get a pay bump, if you want to have additional opportunities, usually you have to move to a different place. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we we hop around so much. So to get my first opportunity to anchor, even though I loved where I was at as a reporter, um, I had to move to Michigan, <laughs> a new place, and, and ended up loving it. It was a great opportunity. I, my first anchor job, I was anchoring the weekend morning show. So some of the worst hours you can have. You work every holiday. You put in a lot of time even off the clock because you want to make sure you have compelling story ideas, and you're prepared, and it's a lot of work, and it's not for everyone, but I certainly loved it, and I think it really shaped my ability and work ethic in whatever I'll choose to pursue after that. I know it's actually really helped me quite a lot in blogging because like TV news, blogging takes a lot of time and a lot of effort as I'm sure you know.
0: <laughs> it does. So tell us about the hours because I saw on one of your posts or maybe I forgot what I saw it or maybe you told me it was like, you were like, yeah, we had to wake up at two in the morning to come and do the weekend news. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so kind of walk us yeah, through yeah. what a day would look like for you.
1: So most of a a good half of my journalism career, I was anchoring morning shows and I started on the weekend mornings and then I went to Monday through Friday mornings. So yeah, my alarm clock went off at two, well, two in the morning was when I was actually at the station. So my alarm usually would go off around one if I was prepared the night before and knew what I was going to wear. And could do my makeup very quickly, but yeah, you would start your shift um, between two and three thirty because our newscast started at four thirty. We would be on from four thirty to seven thirty, and a lot of people have this misconception that when you are an anchor, you show up, someone gives you a script, and you sit there and read.
0: That's That's what I was thinking at all. That was the other question. I was like, but I don't want to offend her. I'm like, do you actually write your own stuff or does someone do it for you? Oh, interesting.
1: So you don't write the entire show because if you think about a show that runs from 4.30 to 7 a.m., there is no way in an hour and a half I could write all that content. So what the anchors do is you have – we had two producers on our show, and they would do their best to have most of the show written by the time that we got in. So the anchor's job is to come in and to finesse that copy, to add, um, put our own spin on things. And also you want your copy to reflect how you speak. So you will sometimes tweak the wording around so that it sounds like the way you would deliver it. And then it sounds more conversational because our goal is to come across as warm and approachable and Allow our viewers to get to know us a little bit so my responsibility was to kind of tweak the copy and also um, The anchors write all of the at least at the stations that I worked at all of the the teasers for what's coming up in the next segment Mm. and also uh, We did a lot of interview segments at the station So I would put those together, the introduction, the questions that I plan to ask my guests and that sort of material.
0: Yeah, that's so funny how you called that. You're like, a lot of people see me just walk in and you're handed a script. Because that's Yeah, I love that
1: job. Sign
0: me (laughs) up. (laughs) It's just not
1: not the reality.
0: Yeah, that was my first and like my, I guess, I guess it's kind of like a generalization or stereotype of what I thought it meant to be an anchor. Yeah, and a
1: lot of people also don't realize that in TV news currently, even your anchors also have the ability to shoot video. They edit their own reports. So when you see a piece on the news, quite often the reporter shot all of that video, did all of the editing, and presented it. So people that are anchoring now have the skill set where they can do everything. They know how to shoot the video, they know how to set up a live shot. They can um, edit the scripts and and do it all. So if you, if anyone is listening to this that wants to be a journalist, it is really important to learn all of those skills. And don't think of the, the end goal of just sitting on the desk because you will never get there unless you can master everything else.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, that's intense. I always mm-hmm. wonder too, I didn't actually put this in our um, outline that we talked about, but what is... like the craziest thing that has ever happened to you while you were live?
1: (laughs) Oh, this one, and I actually may have the video clip somewhere, but (laughs) it was one of those crazy mornings where I was doing live shots throughout the morning from the state fair, and we were talking to some 4-H kids that were showing their pigs.
0: Oh, no. And so (laughs) I
1: am – preparing and I'm talking. We're in the middle of the live shot. And before this, I always travel with my I keep my cell phone and I keep my notes handy so that I can communicate back to the producers when our segment isn't going on so that we are on the same page and things hit when they're supposed to. Right. So my phone is sitting in the corner and I didn't realize that we're in the middle of this live shot and all of a sudden we hear pigs coming through and there's five or six pigs that come running right past us and one of them takes my cell phone and starts eating it
0: <laughs> oh my gosh
1: so in the middle of the live shot I'm, I'm talking to our viewers and then I turn around and say oh my, the pig's eating my cell phone I, I need to take care of this so I pulled my cell phone out of the pig's mouth on live TV oh my
0: God. it
1: was really spitty <laughs> and gross I didn't grow up on a farm. I didn't know how to handle it, but we laughed a lot. (laughs) I think that was one of our most watched morning show clips.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, because pigs, like, they just eat anything. They don't know. That is so funny. Oh, that's hilarious. I mean, I've seen, like, those YouTube, um, like, compilations where they're, like, the craziest things that have happened on air, and, like, that mm-hmm. would terrify me, like, that unpredictability of, of what could potentially happen. <laughs> I think
1: that that was actually one of the things that I loved about it, because it it's a very spontaneous industry you, do, you yeah. never know what's, what's going to happen it keeps you on your toes
0: yeah well it seems like there's just a ton of of moving parts and like you were saying you just don't know especially when you're waking up in the wee hours of the morning of of kind of what's gone on since you mm-hmm. would go to sleep so what time so you would have to go to did you try to get eight hours of sleep like did you have to go to bed at like seven thirty.
1: Or People do, that work a morning show are chronically sleep deprived. If you do it for long enough, you get very good at falling asleep anywhere at any time. When it's daylight out, you can just instantly fall asleep. But it's very, very hard if you want to have a normal life to get eight hours of sleep because that would mean I would have to be falling asleep right at 6 p.m. And with a family, that schedule really doesn't work. So a lot of times I would push it to, 8 or 8.30. But if it got later than that, it would be really difficult the next day. So I learned what my bare minimum is Mm -hmm. to function at work and what the ideal sleep cycle was. So usually I would sleep around six hours. And I actually talked about um, surviving an overnight shift in one of my blog posts on all the strategies that you develop over the years because it's not just people that work in in tv if you're in nursing if you're a first responder police there's lots of people that have to adjust to this kind of schedule and Mm -hmm. there's little tips and tricks you learn over the years
0: yeah my dad works in um I mean, he kind of worked his way up kind of like what you were saying. You kind of have to do all of the jobs until you get the the job you really want. And so my mm-hmm. dad started working in IT, so information technology and IS when computers were just coming out. I probably just aged my dad. Sorry, dad. <laughs> <laughs> and so one of the, the shifts that he had to do was then was the oh, what did he call it? The night or something. There's a specific term he uses, but he had to work the overnight, it was overnight shift. And so okay, he would
1: work the graveyard, shift. The
0: graveyard. Thank you. Why couldn't I think of that? Um, <laughs> so he had to like, he had just this crazy schedule. And I think my mom and him had just gotten married and they had a house. So like, you know, he had to just take the, the crappy shift. And they also, I think, pay a bit more when you have to work over graveyard shifts. Mm-hmm. Um, But he was like, after a year, he's like, I, I, he's like, the first thing, time a promotion or a different job popped up, he took it because he was like, it was brutal, um, having to kind of readjust your, your, your time clock. And he's like, we had just gotten married. So, you know, your mom was working a normal shift and then I, she would come home and I would like be asleep. I have to go to bed and we wouldn't really get to see each other. So I totally get that, um, that it's not, Right, quite realistic for someone who wants to have a, a family life.
1: Yeah, surprisingly, there are uh, quite a few people that make it work. It does work well if you want to avoid childcare. Sometimes, um, if if the the mom is maybe anchoring a morning show, because you could feasibly be done with your day at noon or twelve thirty, and if your spouse has a position where they work later in the day you could kind of take turns and flip-flop. Um, who is taking care of the little ones? On the flip side, though, you don't get to see your significant other and yeah. you're kind of, <laughs> of passing in the night. So, it, yeah, it really is a challenge, which is one of the reasons why I think my husband was very happy when I started looking at other opportunities and made an exit from news as much as I miss it.
0: Right. So that's great. That's a great transition because you moved out of being on air because okay. you had a baby. And that's it. Yeah, <laughs> I always,
1: I assumed that I would go right back to it um, after Hudson came along. He's one now. Oh my God, I love
0: that name. The place. <laughs> Hudson is such a cute name. I love that.
1: Well, thank you. We love it too. Um, but yeah, I, I assumed that I would be going Um, back into it. Prior to his arrival, I started working in communications at Purdue University and thought after he came, I'd immediately go back into news. But I started to enjoy the flexibility of working a normal nine-to-five job. Sleeping felt really good. (laughs) And then we were thinking, too, of what would be best for him. Mm -hmm. and. Where I work, they were able to say, we're okay with you working part-time if you'd like that, and you could stay on with us. And then at that point, I had started doing some blogging on the side. So that seemed like the perfect recipe of I could use blogging as my creative outlet and still hold my position at the Honors College. And I'm home here with Hudson because I do a lot of my work remotely and my husband has a somewhat flexible schedule as a professor where he doesn't have to be in every day. So that was our our perfect situation. And it seems to be working very well at the moment.
0: Yeah, especially with with a newborn and a baby. I'm sure that that can get especially with different schedules, I'm sure tidying everything and making sure that there's someone there
1: is mm-hmm. really
0: important. That's amazing. So Tell us how you kind of got into blogging because I think it's a really interesting way that, that you I kind of planted the seed and then grew from there. So why don't you um, tell us how that sure. happened?
1: Well, it was almost maybe meant to be with how this all unfolded. But when I was working... Um, at my last TV station, we had a lot of guests that came on to talk about a variety of different things. And we were approached by a woman um, who runs a fitness fashion blog. Um, Kim Bentley is her name. She, She does have a fantastic blog. And she approached us. And at the time, I didn't really know anything about blogging. I didn't understand how it worked. I assumed it was like, what I remember some of my family members doing where your blog was a way for you to share photos of your children, to talk about your vacations. I didn't understand how it could be a revenue source. I didn't understand how it was actually this platform to build a community and to share a mission and to teach people things. And so when she approached me and had all kinds of great ideas of Spreading health and fitness messages on her blog, I thought, hey, you know, you would be a great guest. She came in, she would show us wonderful outfits, um, different themes and topics. Sometimes it was weight loss, sometimes it was here's some great leggings that would inspire you to stick to your running routine. And I loved working with her. And then I started reading her blog, and it inspired me to think, well, hey, maybe I could do that too. At some point, I didn't really dig into it seriously at the time, but I had started to notice with the social media community I had built in news, what people seemed to want most was personal content and stories about my life. They cared more about that than the news messages I was sending (laughs) on social media, on my Facebook page and Instagram. They wanted to know more about my life story. In addition to what was going on in their community. Of course, the news came first, but that other stuff um, that I shared on social media was pretty popular. So that was kind of this, this gradual thought process. And then when I started working as a communicator, I learned some different skill sets that made blogging possible. I learned graphic design, I learned more about website management and then in the meantime i started reading additional blogs and seeing what people were doing and i thought especially when i was on my maternity leave maybe this could be a real thing and so i spent about a year doing research just studying as many bloggers as i could to see what inspired me as a reader what was, what great content looked like how I could develop this. And also, I'm not a techie person. So that was the one thing that scared me. I thought, can I really build a website? I have no experience in this. <laughs> and so I wanted to think it through before I took the leap. And when I finally did, I learned you have to keep doing your research. Just when you think you know something, there is more more to learn. But I decided it was possible. And what my goal would be is to create content where every post I am giving my reader valuable, useful information. Because the ones that didn't really resonate with me as a reader were just fashion posts where you're showing an outfit. Oh, this is great. I like it. You should go buy it. I don't think the people that are in my community and that tend to interact with me on my social media channels. Want just that? They could go to the store for that. They right. want tips, information, guidance, and storytelling. Because that, as a journalist, that's what I'm all about: is telling a story and drawing you in, making your day brighter, perhaps with a a funny story. Um, and so that, that's really what my mission is in, in the blogging sphere.
0: That's awesome. And that was exactly, I think in one we talked that like really drew me in was the fact that you don't just post like, here's my outfit, Here are some comfy sweaters or jeans or boots. Like it was also about like just life tips, I guess. And there was one particular thing too, um, I I think you've posted more stuff since then, but it was about, I think for me as a blogger and someone who's starting to do more and more, Interviews and kind of press and stuff like that is I don't know what to wear, and so you were you I think it was an Instagram post you had where you're like don't wear spaghetti straps because it tends to make your (laughs) arms wider on camera. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's such a good point. Like I didn't even think about that. So I really think, like I really think that you're onto like something pretty pretty big because it is something I think as bloggers we get so tied up in our actual content that when we have to do you know, appearances or whatever, we don't, we're like, what do we wear? What do we, how do we, you know, really project how our, our brand, and I think especially your, the clothes that you wear and the outfits that you have really, really um, stand out. But I wanted to circle back to, you were talking about in the beginning about how you kind of built these, you had these platforms. So you, did you kind of start your Instagram and Facebook page prior to your blog?
1: Yes, I did. So when you are a reporter and a journalist, most of us use social media. So I had a Facebook page, I had a Twitter page, and I, I would say I kind of sort of had an Instagram page. It was there, but I didn't really use it because at the time for reporting and sharing information – Instagram didn't really make sense because you couldn't share a clickable link like you could with Twitter or Facebook. So, primarily when I was building those channels, I was using them to give people in the community updates about the stories that I was working on. And then once I started anchoring more frequently, it became a balance of this is who I am as a person, here's what we're working on today, in sharing humorous. Fun content, behind the scenes videos. And I also did a lot of work managing our station's Facebook page. So I started learning a whole lot about social media and the different things that you could do with it. So it was kind of a, I knew when I decided to start a blog, I already had a head start because I had Mm -hmm. built up these pages prior to blogging. And sometimes that's the hardest thing, especially now with how Facebook has changed. It's very, very hard to build up a following.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. I don't even like I, for my personal blog, I didn't even, my main focus when I started was Pinterest. So that is how I generated Mm. all of my traffic. Mm -hmm. Like it's still to this day, 80% of my traffic comes from Pinterest. And even as I've tried to diversify how I gain traffic, Pinterest always comes out as number one. I'm like, what am I doing wrong? Um, but I never really focused on building my Instagram or my Facebook. And now that I'm on Facebook and Instagram, I'm like, this is so overwhelming. So it can get, I think you're absolutely right. It can be really difficult, I think, to build that following. And I think it's smart that you were able to leverage the audience that you had built. Into your into your blog now. So, what were kind of the feed the feedback that you were getting from people that made you realize, oh, this is something like they're more interested in in my personal life, than <laughs> the actual news. So, what were some of the like what was that trigger? What was that click? That we're like, oh, maybe well, this it, is something I could do.
1: It was pretty organic because you would be posting what I. In news, I would typically do at least one Facebook post a day, either about the story, um, a picture of us behind the scenes, something that happened in my personal life. Sometimes it was a crazy picture of my cat. (laughs) It was was anything and everything. And the news pieces would get maybe one comment, the picture of my cat, I would have 40 people talking about the cat and their cat and then sharing pictures with <laughs> me of the crazy thing their cat did. So it it led me to believe that there was this sense of personal connection. And if I could foster that and grow that give and take conversation, that this would be really valuable. And it would be a place where we could talk about various things in a deeper fashion where I could share advice. They could ask me questions directly. And it just seemed like a really natural fit. And one of the things I also noticed is the people that regularly engage with me on my Facebook page are from all of the different TV stations that I worked at, and they're still there. I am not reporting in their market anymore, but they still care about what I'm talking about. And I still show them that I care what's going on in their lives. I make a point if somebody engages with me on my Facebook page or Instagram as much as possible to always comment back so that there is that conversation. And I think that's so key because if, it's not a, a two way street, then you're not an influencer at all. You are just right. pushing information at people. And that's not what I want this to be about.
0: Uh, absolutely. To this day, I like made a promise to myself that, and it's gotten difficult as my audience has expanded and as just my workload has increased, but I make a point to respond to every single email that I get. Like people don't actually, like I, it's so funny because I'll get emails and I'll be like, um, I I wanted to talk to Brie about this. Like they think that it's someone else who's reading the email or filtering it out. And I'm (laughs) like, no, it's me. I told you it was me. I truly believe, I'm so glad that you said that and that we agree on that because I really think having the ability to interact with your audience is so, so important. And I think it's kind of, I'm like, you know. People are like, oh, I don't have time to do that. I'm like, these people are the reason why you are so successful. Like, you have to nurture that relationship by any means necessary. Um, and like I said, it's it's getting more difficult for me to, like, carve out that time. But I still, in my calendar, I literally have an hour every single day that yeah. I just respond to emails or I respond to comments or DMs or whatever um, because it's so important for me to continue to to nurture my audience in whatever ways that I can.
1: And really, when you have that kind of relationship, that will often give you ideas for future content. Mm -hmm. It can give you a sense of what people enjoyed most, what you should continue doing. And I know it's really helped shape my blog, the things that people were really interested in, I try to do more of. And Mm -hmm. sometimes, Even just a question somebody asks will turn into a blog post. Yeah, and and I love that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's a, a great way to segue into my question. Was so, how do you curate your content, and what kind of inspires your outfit ideas? So, I
1: think the the main piece is what I personally like to wear tends to be more classic, more of a business look i want to primarily share ideas that will make women feel powerful like you can walk into wherever you work and you know you look beautiful you are appropriate you are professional and you can take on the world so my closet is primarily pencil skirts dresses that sort of thing and so i tend to share that more frequently and I can use those outfits to pass along information I've picked up over the years about professional presentation, what works on camera, little tips like that, like the spaghetti strap thing and um, camera tricks in in that way. So that's one of the ways I do it. It also is just um, a matter of what's going on in my life currently. If we are... Out somewhere and we have an opportunity to take a great photo, that photo in itself might give me an idea of something to talk about. Um, one example of this is we spent the summer, this past summer, living in Sydney, Australia because my husband was teaching a study abroad class and one so day cool. we went out um, by the harbor there and took a number of photos. And I had intended that just to be a quick little outfit post on Instagram. But one of the photos, I was kind of turning over my shoulder and looking back at my husband. And so when I looked at that image, it made me think of looking over your shoulder. And, you know, that could be a, a good thing. And it segued into a post about motivation in my belief that competition is healthy and how you can foster a healthy relationship with competition and how it can be motivating. And Mm -hmm. so just that photo turned into a a longer written piece in a a blog post. So that's kind of one of the the ways I go about creating content.
0: I love that. That's really cool that you got to go to Sydney. How was that?
1: It was amazing. We would like to go back. (laughs) It is a beautiful country. It was one of those adventures that when we told people, because at the time, our son was 10 months old, had never been on a plane, and his very first flight was 17 and a half hours, one of the longest in the world. Right. So people either said, you're totally crazy, or that's awesome. And we decided, that's awesome. We're going to jump on this opportunity. We had always wanted to go. And it was a beautiful place, and it gave me lots of great content for the blog that I'm still dipping into because I haven't even begun to talk about all of the places that we visited.
0: Yeah, that's a long flight for a baby. I did uh, Bali, which is Ooh. from Australia to Bali is only about I think like an hour and a half flight. Um, but it was long and it was hard, even for me, but we had a layover in Taiwan, I
1: believe. Um, okay. Did you guys
0: have a direct flight?
1: We flew from um, Chicago O'Hare to Houston and then from Houston to Sydney. Direct. Oh, okay. okay. So it, yeah. it was very long. Um, it was one of the, the newer legs for United. This is another thing I wrote all about on the blog is how to survive an international flight with a little guy. Um, <laughs> because there's so many things that we learned because we had never done it before. But he actually tolerated it. Quite well, and by the end of our trip to Australia, we feel like we 're experts in family air travel. We flew twelve times in two and a half months, so we we know how to get a little guy on and off an airplane. Uh,
0: you flew to Australia twelve and a half times
1: no, once we were there, we realized there 's a chance we may never get back to this country, so we wanted to explore as much as we possibly could and so We tried to travel every weekend to a different part of Australia. And since it's so big, Mm -hmm. you really have to fly there. And flying domestically in Australia is easy and pretty affordable.
0: That's amazing. I know I just interviewed – a woman, she lives in in Sydney, and another woman that I interviewed, they also live in Australia. And I'm like, I need to go because I'd love to, like, meet them in, in person. Um, and they also, I think, live in different parts of Australia. Uh, and they said it's – I think it's about the same distance from, like, California to New York if you go from coast to coast in Australia. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as yeah, far as big. flight times go. So I was like, oh, that's cool. And they were saying that the the airfare – in Uh, domestically within Australia is pretty affordable
1: Mm -hmm. I highly recommend it put it on your list yeah
0: (laughs) no it definitely is um and I since I've done the Bali flight I'm like I feel like I can handle (laughs) handle Australia hopefully that's Mm -hmm. awesome I'm so glad that he had a, a good flight so to kind of wrap this up where can people find you on the internet
1: so my blog is anchoredinelegance.com, and my Instagram handle is the same, anchoredinelegance. And then um, on, on Facebook, it's just my name, Lindsay Veramis.
0: Veramis. I know. I had to ask her how to, how to, <laughs> how it's to, how name.
1: <laughs> so yeah, if anybody can't pronounce it, it doesn't matter. I never expect anyone to. It's my tool for distinguishing who is a telemarketer. Uh, if you can't say my name, I hang up.
0: Oh, that's a good one. I just don't even answer my phone if I don't know the number. I'm like, in- that probably would
1: be a smarter way.
0: <laughs> I'm like, if it's important, they're going to leave me a voicemail. Um, and most of the time, like numbers I don't know don't leave me voicemails. So I'm like, okay, well, it was probably mm-hmm. some scam, scammer, <laughs> telemarketer. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being. um on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking time out to talk to me and kind of, and share your story.
1: It's been very fun. I certainly enjoyed it. Thank you.